text that is before us is in Second Chronicles chapter 20. We read that in the scripture reading. And I want us to study tonight about power in prayer. I had the privilege of just leaving a prayer meeting before the, the service and hearing folks pour out their heart on behalf of you and needs and our church and our country and for revival. And uh, Jehoshaphat finds himself in a situation where he's pouring his heart out before the Lord for the Lord to act in, in ways that only that he can. And so I think the things that we see in this portion of Scripture will be true to all of us and we can all uh, give assent to it in our own hearts and lives. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word tonight. Now, Lord, this is your word that we come to. It is not the imagination or the ideas of men, but the record of the Holy Spirit of God to your people. We thank you that you give us not only commands to pray, but you give us real-life situations of those who prayed, what they actually prayed, the circumstances, and how you moved as encouragement to bring every request, every burden, every desire before your throne. Now, Lord, in our church, there are many needs. In every individual hearts, there are different uh, status of, of spiritual growth. And, Lord, your word meets every one of us where we are. And we pray that, that would be the case tonight. May we be encouraged. May we be zealous and, and compelled to go on in prayer praying about everything and everything with prayer and supplication, making our requests known as your word tells us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jehoshaphat was the son of Asa. Remember Asa? We've studied his prayer recently. Asa prayed, Lord, is not with you with whether few or with many. You can do much with whatever you have. The, the great prayer of Asa. Jehoshaphat was his son and came to the throne in Judah, the kingdoms are divided at this time, and he was king of Judah in 914 B.C. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 25 years. He was one of the best, most spiritual, and most prosperous kings of Judah, second only to Solomon, would we point to Jehoshaphat. Judah was the line from which the Messiah came, and we studied Judah personally this morning, and this is the, the end of the result, that the tribe of Judah and the kingdom of Judah, and Israel is divided now, and this is into Judah and, the, and, the, and Israel, and this is the, the king of, the, of Judah. He was one of the best, and at first he strengthened himself against Israel. The, the kingdom was divided, but soon Judah and Israel formed an alliance. Jehoshaphat was a zealous follower of the commandments of God. He was one of those men that said, not what do you think, but what does God say? And then what are we talking about? If that's what God says, that's what we do. He did his best to tear down the places of idol worship. Always a problem, always a snare uh, in the hearts of God's people are idols. And it's no different today in the church as it was in Israel. We often read about that, the high places and the idols, and wonder, how could they have that? How could they be so so brazen as to allow idols to come between them and Jehovah. And I ask you, church, the same thing. Those habits, that uh, amusement, those things that become idolaters, they take time and energy uh, of devotion to the Lord, strongholds. We could look in our own hearts, in our own church, and I think we might find some idols that need to be cast down. He did his best to remind the people and point out those idols and have them torn down throughout the kingdom. He sent teachers. He not only warned them what to do, he sent teachers to tell them how. 
the wisest of the Levites throughout all the cities and the towns to instruct the people in true morality and spiritual worship. We do the same in our church. We give our best. We, we send teachers. We, we give them material. We pray over them. And, and we have the Lord's means to do his, his will in our midst. He kept a large standing army in Jerusalem. He engaged in several battles and was miraculously delivered from them. And then there came a threatened attack. There are battles, and then there are battles. There are threats, and then there are threats. Do you know what I mean? There are certain circumstances in the problem of the daily round of life or even in our spiritual life, and we go through those. And then, like in the life of Elijah, it may seem like uh, something that we, no comparison to what the Lord has done, but that message comes, that cruel word, that, that uh, fearful thought, that message comes, and even though he'd done great things and it had success, spiritually speaking, in, in these battles, a, a message came from the people of Amnon, Moab, and Seir, age-old enemies of the people of God. None of us can so order our lives to escape from battles. I think we try to do that. None of us get up in the morning and say, I hope I have some real knockdown dragouts today or that Satan will come at me with all of his force, or none of us uh, look forward to those things. But I will tell you, on the other hand, that battles are unavoidable since we are in an army of the Lord, aren't we? And we're in enemy territory, and uh, we are not uh, here. From here, we're going somewhere else. We're here for a while. There is spiritual wickedness in high, high places. The world and the flesh and the devil oppose us. So I would submit to you, wouldn't we expect on a daily basis, maybe from even small skirmishes to larger things, there will be some uh, attack from the enemy because we are the enemy of this world system and Satan and the prince and the power of the air. So once we realize that, why would we ever think that we could just sail smoothly through and gain heaven without uh, effort and without battles? especially since our Lord said in this world you shall have tribulation and that the, the writers tell us through much tribulation shall we enter the kingdom of God. None of us is so spiritual, so got it together. That's not even good English, but you know what I'm saying. Have it so well ordered, know so much, or such Bible scholars have, had, have climbed such heights toward the mountains of Zion that the Lord's obtained so close to the Lord that life's battles don't come to us. Another misnomer, another one of Satan's lies is that you can attain a place where, where battles will not come. He likes you to think that because you may think after some spiritual victory or blessing from the Lord, I've arrived. And like Nebuchadnezzar of old, walking out on the balcony of your kingdom, pat yourself on the back and say, look what I've done my world is so wonderful, and then the Lord must, must, must remind us how, how faulty that reasoning is. Here was a good king who's earnestly trying to serve the Lord, is he not? He's tearing down high places, no small task. Any preacher, any spiritual leader, any father in the home, pastor, missionary, work, Christian worker who really goes at it and means business for the Lord and will, his purpose to do right, till the stars fall, about everything that comes their way, they're, they're going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition. And so here was a good king, a godly king, who had sought to do the right thing. See, we line all that up and say, why would this happen? 
I hear that often from God's people. I don't know, Pastor, why this is coming my way. I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to be faithful. And we give this litany of deeds as if that somehow or another. We don't believe in works for salvation. But we somehow believe if you put all that in the scale of God's eternal balances that the good ought to outweigh the bad and we ought to be circum- circumvent any uncomfortable thing that would come our way. And when you think like that and the battle comes, you'll believe the lies of Satan. God doesn't care. He's not in heaven. He's off base. You're out of line. All kinds of things you begin to, to believe. And so a threat comes to his kingdom, and this threat hung over him. I think that's the worst part. The battle hadn't started yet. The threat is out there. We're coming after you. We're coming after your, your nation, your kingdom. What are you going to do about it? He has a standing army. He has prayed. He has made provision. And yet the question does come, what if they do come? What will we do? They are mightier than us. One day the news came. Verse 2 tells us, There comes a great multitude against you from the sea. That doesn't sound good, does it? That's not a message any national leader wants to hear. And verse 3 tells us that Jehoshaphat's first response, what was it? Jehoshaphat, help me out, church, feared. That was his first response. It is a natural human response to bad news, to problems. And there's only one thing to do when we're afraid. 1 John 4, 18 tells us that fear has torment. It has its own, fear has its own built-in torment. It brings with it, it's a package deal. Fear brings not only that alarm and the what-ifs, but it has a continual torment while it lasts. That's why fear must be dealt with biblically, because its torment will rob us of our sanity, will rob us of our blessing, will rob us of our effectiveness for the Lord. Fear paralyzes us, doesn't it? And it puts us on the shelf. What if? What if I fail? What if this person doesn't receive the word I'm going to give them? What if I knock on this door and hand out a track and they pull a gun on me? All kinds of things. The mind can run wild. And some can be very real situations, fears. What if the boss fires me? What if? And all those fears and the, the torment that hangs over the accompanying threat. That's why it was, it's one of the devil's favorite fiery darts is the, the fiery dart of fear. He pulls his bow and sends it our way. It is an effective uh, tool in paralyzing all but the most mature believers. And we can see even men like Elijah. Could you get it any more mature than someone who can pray down fire from heaven, who, ha- who has power with God, and who's given as the, the signal one in the New Testament of a pattern for praying, effectual, fervent praying, and yet he got a, a word one day, Jezebel... Well, it does Jehoshaphat. He's not a baby. He's not a sissy. He knows what life's all about. He's been around the block. He's a mature believer. And yet, this message comes and he reels here for a moment. But aren't you glad that the Bible gives us these records to show us what to do, how to act when this kind of thing happens? 1 John 4.18 also tells us that he that feareth is not made perfect in love. What does that mean? Or he is not a mature believer. We're not as mature as we think we are when fear causes us to get off base and off track. 
There is no fear in love, the Bible goes on to say, but perfect love, the love of God, casteth out fear. So we need to remind ourselves biblical truth is the only thing that can, can handle lies and fears and those things that Satan sends at us. We know that the, the, the word of God can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. In fact, that's the very thing our Lord did in his great temptation or testing. And so we must remind ourselves of things that like there is no fear in love. God's love is greater than any message that we can receive today. But perfect love or mature love does what? It casts out fear. The mature believer knows how to deal with fear. Well, let me ask you, as we think about Jehoshaphat and his reaction to the news of a planned invasion of Judah and from his, uh, his, his God's avowed enemy, what news, and I hate to think like this, but uh, all of us have those buttons that could be pushed what news would paralyze you with fear today? We all face battles in this life, as I've already mentioned. And just as Jehoshaphat was facing a battle against Amnon, Moab, and Seir. I don't know what name your fear has, but there's an Amnon, Moab, and Seir out there that can just rattle your cage. Our best, our battles are, are our potential enemies in battles are, are, are come, don't they? Often they come from a, in the form of circumstances, things that we can't handle. You know, circumstances are things that come at us that we're not in control of, uh, that, that human strength or ingenuity cannot alter, a doctor's report, uh, uh, financial situations, the government, the na- national things that we often pray about. Some circumstances, they come at us, and we really have no say-so in them or, or can't change them just because of our IQ level or degrees or our connections or who we know or who we don't know. It just doesn't matter. The circumstances are what they are. You can be the king of Judah, and circumstances can come that just you really can't do much about. And so uh, this, this is one of the reasons, one of the areas of our battle, sickness or accidents, those things that, we, we, that just happen. They are things that happen in life. Our battles can also be centered around conflict, and this is probably one of the thorniest of all. You're living the Christian life, and you are, have a, you know, a wife or a husband or a mother or a father, cousin, co-worker. We have relationships. If you're in this world, you have relationships, some degree of relationships. And as believers, we ought to have many, and they ought to be dear to us. But those things that are very dear to us are often areas where conflict enters, misunderstandings and, and things that we just don't know how to straighten out. There, something has been said or done or not said or done, and we don't even really know how to, to approach it. And this is caused a fearful situation. When we see that person, or, you know, things are just not right. Another area of battles are, 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 are courses of life that suddenly change direction. We're all on different levels of life. I was listening to a couple give testimony. There was an older couple, and they said, you know, our, uh, you know, there were different stages, raising the children, making a living. Now we're at a stage of life that's different than any other stage, and our greatest battles are health battles. And so the, the course of life, the stage of life, brings with it its own set of battles. Some of you young couples and young people think, well, when I just 
get to that certain point, you get all this paid off, and the children educated, these ifs, I've got this plan, this, this spreadsheet, when I get it all worked out, then we'll just kind of sail along, and me and Mama will have a wonderful time, and, you know, and then you don't, you don't realize that life will have its own different set of circumstances then that didn't fit into a spreadsheet. Do you all know what I'm talking about? That, didn't, that it couldn't be put on with a pencil and a piece of paper. And Dave Ramsey hadn't taught on that yet, you know. And the best uh, philosophy on earth can't, can't, didn't know that that was, or you, that was a possibility, but you didn't see it happening to you and your wife and your children, your family, and here we are, the course of life. And then their children, probably the, the dearest and the most problematic of these possibility of problems come with, with children. And I won't labor there, but... I see so many prayer requests on a daily basis from people who appeal for prayer on behalf of their, their children and grandchildren, and we, we understand that and, and understand how dear that is, their conversion, their, their direction, the, the, they would get a purpose in life, all kinds of things that, that parents pray for children. Well, your, your battle may not say Amnon or Moab, but it's just as real. It has the power to disable you or paralyze you. These battles can come to all of us, will come to all of us if we live long enough, and and we are certain to be part of our. Uh, are they certain to be part of our spiritual development? Because I want to tell you, God could not sanctify us without these kinds of things. We wouldn't have we wouldn't have Jehoshaphat's prayer here to encourage us. Had Moab not sent out a message, we're coming after you. We're, we're coming against Judah, and, and we see Jehoshaphat's reaction, and it speaks to our heart. He feared greatly. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit records that? Because a great king like Jehoshaphat, if we just had his prayer and God's answer, we wouldn't see the humanity in it that he felt just like we do when that, that report comes or that threat comes or that whatever that situation is. And the Bible tells us in verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared. But that's not all he did. Aren't you glad the verse doesn't end there? And set himself to seek the Lord. This calls for a new plan of action or a deeper plan of action. I'm not saying that Jehoshaphat didn't daily pray and seek the Lord, but now here was a season that he was going to have to approach this in a way that he hadn't before. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, he had the spiritual authority to do that, can you imagine how long has it been since we've had a leader in this nation who asked for the nation to pray and fast? We've had had days of prayer. Do you know we've had presidents in the past? Our founding fathers, not too, too many distant, maybe 50 or 60 years ago. I'm not sure how long ago it is. And I'm not saying all those men were living at the foot of the cross, but somebody had sense enough to know we need a day of prayer and didn't use it for a political platform. Seek the Lord while he may be found bombing of Pearl Harbor and other times there are those who remember days when churches opened and, and people prayed and fasts were proclaimed. Solemn assemblies were called where people came before the Lord and said, search us and try us and know our hearts. Matthew Henry said, if we meet with trouble in the pathway of duty, we may believe it is that God may have an opportunity of showing us so much more of his marvelous loving kindness. What did Jehoshaphat do with his fear? We've seen it's human. It's a natural response, and, and you would be a, a robot if fear didn't come. It's what you do with the fear. You, you see, it's what you do with the fire dart. It's coming, 
And there are things that can arouse fear in your heart and life, in my heart, my heart and life. But what do we do with it? We said that it is natural, but the scripture teaches that it shows a lack of spiritual maturity to dwell there in fear and let it continue to paralyze us and to react negatively when there are things that we're to do. Allow it to control us. Nothing should control us but the Spirit of God. So what are we to do? Brother Lamb, you just don't know what I'm going through. I haven't even shared my heart. I've not written it out on a prayer request. You don't, and you know I know, and I'm not making light of any, anything that, that any precious one that our, our fellowship is going through. But this I know. These battles will come, and we as the people of God need to know how to respond to them. We, we need to know and be forewarned. And to be forewarned is to, to, to have a plan of action. Uh, and so I want you to kind of think about these things and keep them where you keep your important messages. And you'll have an opportunity to use them, I promise you. First of all, Jehoshaphat responded to his trouble in prayer. You can just put down pray. <laughs> That's very appropriate, isn't it? Verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself. To seek the Lord. That, that wording, set himself. You think about things set in stone. It's a determination. Jehoshaphat said, I, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to encourage everyone I can to pray. Let me ask you, is that feared battle looming in your horizon, pulling you toward the Lord in a deeper fellowship, or is it driving you away? It's amazing to me that some of these things drive people away from the Lord and his, the fellowship of his church. In the very place they should be, that the very thing that if, if physically able, and I realize that, to, is to be with the Lord's people. The devil's goal with this favorite of his fiery darts is to paralyze you like with a stun gun. The message comes and you just, whoa, what am I going to do about that? It, it smarts, it hurts, and you're numb. There's grief. And grief comes more than just death. There are all kinds of grief that, that come to us over losses other than just physical, the loss of a physical person. The news zaps you and knocks you off your feet, but the Lord is always at work to draw you close to him. Jehoshaphat immediately began to seek the Lord. May I recommend that to all of us? Seek the Lord. Why? Well, for one thing, he's told us all that seek him will find him. To not seek him, what is the opposite of that? You won't find him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. This is a time where God can be found. Church, America, world, Christ hadn't come back yet. Antichrist is not on the throne. Jesus Christ will come and rule and reign, but this is still the day of grace. The gospel is still going forth. God's word is still allowed to be disseminated. Maybe not freely in every place, but the majority of the world it can be. And as dark as it is, sometimes we have to set aside a space of time and do nothing, not even eat, but just seek the Lord's face in the matter that's fearful. Here the king called for corporate prayer, and that's always called for. And there are certain times where it's especially called for, because you know why? Your praying encourages me. When I hear you pour out your heart before the throne of grace, that builds my faith. And when I hear your heart as you share before the Lord things that, that I may not have known about, or just your way of approaching the Lord and telling him your situation or praising him, 
is such an encouragement to all of us. For one thing, it teaches us how to pray, doesn't it? And worship is always appropriate. And the, and the truest form of worship is communing with the Lord in prayer. Our Lord says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We can be sure that Jehoshaphat was in, already engaged in private prayer, but now he must move his people to pray. Corporate prayer is, is only as strong and effective as the individual is in the secret place. There's time for both. This was a kingdom-wide threat, and it called for a corporate prayer meeting. The Lord has promised to bless and answer when his people come together in prayer. That alone should move us to prayer meetings and to, to worship services and when God's people convene because prayer will be made where God's people are. Petitions will be offered. Verses will be quoted. The word of God will encourage us. The resources of God will be spread out before us where God's people gather, and we need that. We need what might be said, what verse may be on the bulletin, what songs are, are sung that remind us. One phrase of a song may drive away that fiery dart. One part of a verse may be the answer we were seeking for. I'm amazed that when I shake people's hands at the end of the service, the Lord said, when people said, the Lord spoke to my heart and they'll give me, and it had nothing to do with what I, I can't recall anything I said that, that what they said the Lord spoke to them about. Or when you, and they'll relate to me what the Lord did for them. And, and I'm amazed because that, that didn't come out, you know, in my thought process. But I do know this, that we all come with hearts and minds and circumstances. And the word of God is effective for all all of us, wherever we are. And uh, the diet will, God's diet will fit the, the need. <laughs> the bread of God will fulfill the, the hungry soul. And God's people will know it. Verse 4 tells us, Judah gathered themselves together. It's one thing for the, the pastor or the king to call for prayer and people not to come. That's a very discouraging thing. But the Bible tells us they gathered themselves together. Why? To ask help of the Lord. Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah came they to seek the Lord. I want you to know that was great effort to come to the temple for prayer. I mean, they came out of all the cities of Judah. They made a pilgrimage to the house of God. From their farms and their villages and from their houses. They made effort. It took time. They had to lay aside some things. They made provision. They put priority on meeting together with God's people. This is a, a, a praying and, and worshiping and living with a purpose. We've talked about the Lord's Day and the importance of it. And God's people put a premium on the thing that God puts a premium on. Where he says, this I will bless, or this is important. We ought to do the same. I can see when, when, the, when the message came out from the king, we, we, we're going to have solemn assembly. They begin to come. Little boys walking aside their daddies, mothers and daughters. They're going toward Jerusalem, pouring out their hearts, expecting for the Lord to hear. Now, God had, had promised to bless prayer and offered the prayer offered in his house. And I know that the local New Testament church building is not the temple, but I will tell you this, we are the temple. We're the people of God. We're the building of God. 
So wherever God's people are gathered, it's the same. The same principle is there. But there was a special attachment that Jehovah placed when the, when the temple was dedicated under Solomon's reign. Back in chapter 7, verse 13, you don't have to turn there, but this is a beautiful encouragement and teaching that God gave his people. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain... So if he does, it means he probably will at some time, okay? He's warning them ahead of time. You know, there may be a time when I shut up heaven. You know what that is for the church? When I turn off the spout of blessing church, if I do that, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, I send stuff that, to devour, or if I send a pestilence among my people, those ifs are sense, senses, <laughs> I, I will. If I do... If my people, that's the background for that glorious verse we we quote, if my people which are called by my name, that's us, isn't it? Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's what Jehoshaphat did. And turn from their wicked ways. We see repentance and confession. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open. You see this challenge from the Lord? Now I'm going to be listening. I'm watching. My eyes are open and my ears are attent unto the prayers that are made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house. And we could say he's chosen and sanctified his bride, hasn't he? What, what does he say where two or three are gathered in my name? What? Tell me. There. Where two or three are gathered, there. I'm there. Same parallel in the New Testament. I have sanctified this house, this household, this holy family, this household that we're in, that my name be there forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Do you know where God's eyes are running to and fro, the eyes of the Lord in every place? His eyes are upon his people. Are they praying? Are they believing? Are they gathering? Are they repenting? Are they seizing the throne of grace? What are they doing with the resources that I've given them? You parents and teachers who've given your students or something to do and you've given them tools and they come, you come back and nothing's been done, you say, well, why haven't you? Well, I didn't know where anything was. Well, it's all right there. I've given it to you. It's all spread out there. Take that, that there and that and put it together and use it. You know what to do. It's the same with us, isn't it? He's given us all these resources and God says, what are they doing with it? In this church age, we are the building of God. Our bodies are his temple. But he too has promised that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. God delights in and listens to the prayers of his church, just like we delight to hear the prayers of our our children, their conversation. I'm in the granddaddy stage, and I love it when they say, Papa, can I tell you something? They want to come tell me something that's going on in their life. I had a little situation on Friday. One of them came and was pouring out their heart about a, a misunderstanding situation. And I was trying to comfort and all. But you know what? The fact that that little one would come to me and just tell me about it, it was a great delight to me. He didn't see it as that, but, but I did. God delights to listen to the prayers of his church. And he moves when his people pray, seek his face in believing prayer. Now, I want to ask you, how did Jehoshaphat pray? What was the content of his praying? That's always important. What did he ask for? First of all, we see his response to the problem was prayer. That's, that's simple, isn't it? Secondly, the pattern. What was the pattern of his praying? Let's look there in verse 6. And 
saying, O Lord God of our fathers, he calls on God's track record, if you will. Are not thou God in heaven? (laughs) Isn't that something? Now, aren't you the God in heaven that Daniel tells us there is a God in heaven? Aren't you the God in heaven that we're coming to? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heaven? You see, it just gets to the root of the matter. These kingdoms have said, we're coming against you. Lord, last count I had, aren't you in charge of kingdoms who make threats against your people? He's telling the Lord on Moab and Amnon. And he's, he's spreading it out before the Lord. And in thine hand is there not power in my, so that there is none able to withstand thee? Do you see as he's praying to God about what God can do, he's alleviating his own fears. The answer to all those questions are rhetorical, aren't they? The answer to every one of those questions is what? Yes, I am the God of heaven. Yes, I do have all power in heaven and earth. Yes, I can come against kingdoms who threaten you. So we remind ourselves, David encouraged himself in the Lord, the scripture says, that's why it's so important to memorize Scripture and to have, a, if not even memorize, these arsenal of verses that we bring out. Lord, this is what you said. Have a prayer notebook. Have some verses written out that you can go to when the stun gun of that message knocks you off course. You might not even can remember a verse that you've memorized, but you can go and find these verses you've already written out, and they're in your arsenal. Lord, you said right here, call upon me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Are thou not our God? He brings it on personally. Lord, I'm saved. Am I not your child? Who can I go to if I can't come to you? Who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? You brought us here. You gave us this land to the seed of Abraham, and they dwell therein and have built thee a sanctuary then for thy name's sake. And we would say the parallel, Lord, have we not gone into the world? And are we, have we not built a house for you? Are we not your people gathered together? Are we not meeting and hearing your word and doing what your Bible, the, the pattern of the New Testament tells us to do? If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Our God is sovereign. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. His hand, it is in his power, in his hand, a healing touch to do whatever he, he desires to do. It may look like trouble will drown us. It may look like he is not there, but our God is in control. Psalm 121, verse 4, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord shall preserve thee from some evil. Is that right? All evil. I like it when you correct me, when you know the verses. The Lord will protect thee, preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. If he can keep your soul, can he squash Moab today or the threat that's coming toward you? The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from how long? This time and even forever. Amen. End of story. So be it, the psalmist says. He reminded the Lord of his past provision. That's why I love the Psalms, because you see in Psalms the repetition of what God has done. And he calls on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When he says Abraham, don't we? All of Abraham's life flashes before us. And even Jacob and Isaac, those men and their trials and their testings of faith come to mind. And when we see what God has done, we rehearse it. That's why we study the whole Bible, not just parts of it. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. 
Didn't he get us to where we are right now? How did you get here? You got here by God's grace. We didn't get this far in grace because of our works or our looks, I can tell you that, or our intelligence or our connections or anything else. This is what we looked at this morning, all because of God's amazing grace, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God has a perfect track record. He's not lost one of his lambs that he has saved. My sheep hear my voice. They will follow me. Nobody can pluck them from mine hand. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my shepherd tells me I will fear no evil. And the end of the matter is this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's not presumption. That's God's word. And that's what I'm standing on. So when Moab sends me a message, I can choose any of those verses. They'll fit, won't they? He drove out the inhabitants of Canaan to give them the land to start with. He won't leave them defenseless in the midst of our battles. Did he save us to leave us here to to not have his blessing and his help and protection? John Newton said, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far. And what was his conclusion? Grace will lead me home. Isn't that what we live on? The unmerited favor of God. That's what got us here. That's what's keeping us alive. It's keeping your heart beating, not the, the pills you took today or the diet you eat or because you walk so many laps or the vitamins you took. You know why your heart's beating right now? There is a God in heaven. His grace has brought you safe thus far and His grace will lead you home. Third, he reminded God of his promises. Do you know that God loves to be reminded of his promises? Lord, you said, and then he he tells him what he has said, as if God needed to be reminded of anything. When we remind God of his promises, who else are we reminding them of? Us. This is the word of God. For thy name is in this house. God knows that. If we cry to you for help and the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who you didn't let us invade, you kept us from wiping them off the face of the map. You said you'd save them for yourself. You'd deal with Moab. So you didn't let us deal with Moab. They're still there. You let us wipe out some of the other enemies, but Moab is still there. There are giants in the land still. There are problems in your life that you will have to deal with before you get to heaven. Not all of them have been done away with. And you you don't help us. Lord, your word is at stake. We go before him and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You've told us that we're dead to sin. It does not have any power over us. Now, Lord, I need you to make that real to me today because I don't feel like my sinful self is dead. Verse 11 tells us of the possession of the land God promised unconditionally to Abraham when when God sovereignly covenanted with him. Lord, you've given us this land to inherit. We must know God's word to plead it before him. That's why it's so important to have a steady diet of it and to be, to know it and to work your way. I'm not saying you have to be a, a Bible expert, and yet I am. In a sense, every one of God's children ought to be able to navigate through the word of God and to tell it at least in, in its principle to other people. I'm not saying as a Sunday school teacher or a pastor 
But you ought to be able to trace God's ways and word and, and just through the verses you know and the teachings, the principles you know. He will perform all that he's promised. Does it look like you're going to be defeated? Jude 24 tells us he's able to keep you from falling and will present you faultless before his Father's throne in glory. 2 Timothy 1.12, one of my favorite things verses tells us, I'm not ashamed, for I know him I believe and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him. How long? Temporarily? No. Against that day. Philippians 4.19 is still in the book, last count I had. But my God, Paul's saying, I don't know about your God, but my God will supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What a wonderful Savior we serve. He's working on our behalf to bring us through our sanctification and ultimately we will be glorified and with him eternally. Look there in verse 12. Our, 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 oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. We really don't have the resources, humanly speaking, to fight against these, this triumvirate of nations that are coming against us. Lord, you know, on the spreadsheet, this doesn't look good. It, it, they, they've got more than we've got. We have an army, but we don't have an army like that they do times three. So you begin to, to multiply to the nth power of what's going on. It didn't look too good. Now, now Lord, we're, we have no might against this great company, and you have no might against that doctor's report or that, that circumstance or that financial situation. It's just beyond you that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. Don't we, aren't we there so often? Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. I think of all these precious children the Lord has given to our church. When it gets time to go home, you know what? Their eyes are going to be looking toward mom and daddy. Where are you? Where are we going? When it gets time to eat, who do their eyes go to? When needs come up, who do they, they look to what? Mommy and daddy. Are we going? Are we going to get to go? Is this what's going to happen? That, that questioning, knowing that if any provision comes, it's going to come through, through mom and daddy, you know. That's what the, the, the Jehoshaphat's saying. Lord, we're looking to you expectantly. Our eyes are fixed on you. You know what? Our eyes get on everything else, doesn't it? Don't they? The enemy, the problem. And we get fixated on that, and we miss the whole purpose of all of it is to, to turn our eyes Upon Jesus. Spiritual questions such as this are not so much questions as they are really remind us, reminders for us. While traveling through Europe in 1874, Frances Ridley Havergal, in her late 30s, was she's always frail, but she was at a particular frail time. She contracted typhoid fever. And you know, uh, Frances Havergal wrote just many, many of the songs in the songbook that we sing. And she came home sick. By November, she was hovering between life and death. And, and as prayer meetings were held all across England and Europe, she was already well-known in the church for her beautiful, beautiful songwriting ability. And for a year, she was confined to her bed. Think about that, a year. And she was recovered, recovering 
was a slow process, but it was marked, as the, her writer says, by cheerfulness, optimism, and patience. A year later, after she went through this circumstance, she wrote this. I have just begun to work a little after 12 months of falling apart. Typhoid fever, which with relapses and results kept me ill for eight months and a part of the time very suffering and then four months of very slow convalescence. But it has been the most precious year of life to me. It is worth any suffering to prove to oneself the truth of when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And worth being turned back, as it seemed, from the very golden gates, if one may but tell of his faithfulness. She said, the Lord has spared me, and I am one who can tell of his faithfulness. One of the reasons that God comforts us in our distresses, in our griefs, in our sorrows, is, that, is so that we might have the comfort to give others when they go through those same trials. Not all of us have had the same experiences as everyone else, but as one by one we do have some of those same experiences. One mother who's lost a baby can really communicate with another lady who has, or, or someone, some of you are going through cancer and all that. When you, you can come alongside someone who's just for the first time heard the C word from a doctor, and you can comfort them in a way that, that, that you would not have been able to had you not been allowed to go through those, those circumstances. If one may but tell of his faithfulness, Child of God, why have we been left here? We're not doodads on a whatnot shelf. You know that? I mean, we have a curio cabinet at home, and, you know, we, we look at it, and it, it's kind of filled with all these little bits and pieces of our travels, and my wife's preserved bouquet from her wedding is there. The uh, invitations of our wedding and our two children's weddings a little mementos, a little carved things from missionaries who've given to us. And I look at them from time to time. It's behind a glass door cabinet in, in the living room. And very rarely is it opened up. We have a glass flute in there, a real glass flute, flute given us by uh, the, one of the, the downtown music store people. They came by our house one day and just gave it to us. And just it was a whole, the whole circumstances were, were strange. Of a glass flute, a little bitty teeny tiny violin, Leah's first violin, and just things like that that you go and look at, and you think they are precious, and they all have a story behind them. But you know what? Those doodads, and whatever you want to call them, mementos and that whatnot chef are just that. That's not what God has called his people to be, decorations. Now, some of God's saints think that's what God has called them to be. They think their spiritual gift is to decorate, to look pretty, to be seen, to entertain, maybe. I don't know. That's not why he's left us here. He has left us here to be tellers, livers of his glorious grace. And the only way we can do that is to, first of all, experience it ourselves. And as we rub shoulders with one another in the daily round of life of work and ministry, to give off that fragrance of his beauty and realize that we're just fellow travelers on this pilgrimage to heaven. And some will stumble and fall on the way. And we gather them up. And some will get off track, won't they? And we encourage them to come back. Come join us. Come back with us. Fellow travelers. Fellow pilgrims 
recipients of great grace, if one may but tell of his faithfulness, that's what you've been left here to do, tell of his faithfulness, the battles will come. The message will come that will stun you on any given day. What are you going to do with it? You're going to paralyze and just roll up in a ball and get in a closet somewhere and just wait it out? Maybe a real long wait. You might have to wait 20, 30, 40 years. You better get out in circulation and, and, uh, and use what you have with what you've got till the Lord calls you home. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. There's nothing that can encourage us like this word. There's nothing like it, Lord, that feeds us and helps us. And so we pray that it would be the meat that we need tonight. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.